We hope you'll be blessed and inspired and challenged and motivated by this fresh word from Christian Heritage Church. One aspect of obeying God is understanding that God is interested in reaching the entirety of the world, not just middle-class America, not just those folks that look like you and me, but the whole world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. More than anything else, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. And as a result of that, we are a missions-minded church. We support missionaries around the world every month. We go on missions trips to help them and to encourage them and help them reach people in their arena of service. This morning, Kevin and Summer Sneed are with us, missionaries to Kenya. They've been there 10 years. I'm not going to tell their story because that's their job, not mine. But I want you to put your hands together this morning and give a royal Christian heritage missionary welcome to Kevin. God bless you, brother. Praise the Lord. Good morning. You can take your seat. We're so glad to be here this morning. We are here primarily to give gratitude to God and to you. We say thank you for standing with us to help us do the work of Christian ministry in East Africa. You've been supporting us for years, and we've come today just to say thank you, and God bless you. When you give in the missions offerings of this church and to the projects of this church, from here it may be difficult to see the fruit of that giving But I have seen the fruit, and it's abundant. And I say thank you for your faithfulness to give. We're so glad to be here today. We're so grateful for Pastor Steve Dow and Sister Yvonne for allowing us to come and for their leadership uh, in giving towards missions. We appreciate Cal and Ann Gleaton for their support in hosting us this week. And we are thankful for all of you and for what you're doing to support global evangelization. And we're going to show you today just a little bit of what's going on through your giving in our ministry at East Africa Bible College and East Africa Girls Ministries. This is our, uh, well, I have a slide of our family somewhere. I appreciate my sister in the back helping me. Uh, It's coming up. But the last time we were here, we only had one child. God has blessed us with another child. They're somewhere in the back in the kids' zone. Uh, There they are. Uh, This is Nate's first Christmas in America. So if anybody wants to help us take some extra luggage back to Kenya after this Christmas season, we would appreciate that. It's going to be full. But if you go to the next slide, you'll see a picture of our ministry. This is our most recent graduating class at East Africa Bible College. We are working in East Africa because God is at work in East Africa. Long before we arrived there, God was at work in East Africa. And he's calling men and women to do the work of Christian ministry. But they just need a little help to do what God has called them to do. And so we're there working behind the scenes to help send them out to do what God has called them to do. Some of them are accepting the call, and we know that God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. But once you've been called, there needs to be some opportunities for you to get qualified. And that's what we're there to do. We're there to help these men and women do the work that God has called them to do. Our most recent graduating class here, Uh, includes pastors, church planners, evangelists, uh, missionaries, even there's two missionaries in this group, and associate pastors who are now out doing the work of Christian ministry. We also have off-campus programs. If you go to the next slide, you'll see this is a group of pastors 
who are already in the ministry but have never been trained. They couldn't come to the Bible college because they had farms and jobs and responsibilities. So we took the, the teaching to them and they spent two years every weekend committing themselves to study. And we graduated with this many students, 18 students, in uh, May of this year in Meru, Kenya. And then my, amen, thank God for that. And my favorite graduation this year, if you go to the next picture, uh, that's their classroom. Go to the next picture. This is my favorite graduation in Maturu, Kenya. We had uh, seven pastors to go through the program. This husband and wife ministry team went through the program and their church was so happy that they had graduated from Bible school. When they walked across the stage, they decorated them up like Christmas trees and gave them a goat as a graduation gift. Now, I gave them a diploma, but they were more excited about that goat than they were that diploma. But now their congregation is very happy that their pastor has gone through Bible school. And we're seeing great things happening in the ministry of our students. If you go to the next slide, this is one of our typical students. His name is Musa. Musa was called of God to pastor this little church. If you go to the next slide in western Kenya. And he came to the Bible school knowing he needed to be trained. But he also said that he would want us to help him build his church. He wanted a permanent building. I told him that really wasn't our ministry. We weren't there to build buildings. We wanted to build people. But I believed that if he was faithful to God, God would help him to do it. After he graduated, we would go and visit him regularly. The last time I was there, if you go to the next picture, you'll see his congregation was overflowing from that church. And they took me out back to an old sugar cane field that they had bought If you go to the next slide, you'll see they had started building their church on their own in that sugarcane field. And while I've been in America, he sent me this picture of the church coming up. Amen. Now, I could not have gone to that village and planted that church and built that building. But God called someone who could. And we were just there to help him do what God called him to do. Another one of our students is is Ernest. Ernest is from Mombasa, Kenya. He retired from working in a hotel and then God called him into ministry. He was attending a very small church, IPHC church, and the pastor retired and he was the one that God called to pastor that church, but he had really no clue where to begin. He came to the Bible school as an older man. He was the grandparent of all the students there and he became uh, a powerful leader for that community. If you go to the next slide, you'll see his church. He's built a new building there in Mombasa, Kenya. They're right in the midst of an Islamic community. And they've taken the corners of their buildings and put loudspeakers out there like the mosque has. So they can broadcast the, the prayers and worship of the church into that community. The mosque broadcasts on Friday. We broadcast on Sunday. And people are responding to the word. If you go to the next slide, that's their children's ministry. It's too big for their small room. They meet outside under the tree. And our children were blessed to be a part of them on that Sunday. And then if you go to the next slide, you'll see his son Juma. Ernest has already sent Juma to the Bible school so that he can be trained to go back and help his father. He says, I need the help because the ministry is growing so much. They're reaching many women and children, especially in that Islamic community. But we're praying that God would help them reach the men too. Because we need to see the men in those families saved and brought to the kingdom of God. And if you go to the next picture, this is one of our favorite stories to tell. Bocha graduated back in 2011. 
But his story begins way before then. He was born in an Islamic home in a tribe that's very similar to the Somali people. They're cousins to the Somalis, but they live in Kenya. 99.8% Islamic. It's called the Orma tribe. But he found Christ through a Christian missionary, a Kenyan lady, led him to the Lord. He went to a Christian high school and then came to our Bible school with the call of God on his life to reach his tribe. When he was at the Bible school, I invited a Wycliffe Bible translator to come. God was in it. I didn't know what I was doing, but God knew what he was doing. Because that Bible translator found Bocha and said, we have targeted your tribe for Bible translation in this decade, 2010 to 2020. And I have found no one to help me do the work. Will you help me do the work when you graduate? So he and Bocha began working together, and in August of last year, they've released the fully translated Old and New Testament into the language of the Orma people. Amen. Amen. The translator took it from the Greek and the Hebrew into the language of the Ormas. Bocha was there to help uh, uh, make sure it was communicating what they wanted it to communicate and now when he preaches to his people and shares the word of God with his people he's using a bible that God helped him to bring into that language now there's no way in the world I could have done that but God called somebody who could and we were there to help him do what God was calling him to do that's why we're in the ministry of bible school education God is calling many people to do great works and we want to just help send them out ready to do what God has called them to do. If you go to the next slide, you'll see Dita. Dita was saved under Bocha's ministry and has now gone through the Bible school himself and is back out there. His ministry is showing the Jesus film. We sent him away with a diploma and a projector. And he holds up a sheet and shows the Jesus film in anywhere he can get an opportunity. And people are coming to Christ. He sent me an email just last week and said, we're going to host a Christmas dinner for about 30 Muslim people who are this close to getting saved. And we're going to help them host that dinner for those people so that they can uh, receive the greatest Christmas gift of all, the gift of salvation. I'm so thankful for what God is doing through our students. So thank you for helping us. When you uh, give to the Bible school, it may sound boring, but Bible school ministry is not boring because when the students leave the campus, they do exciting things for the kingdom of God. So thank you for helping us help them. If you go to the next slide, you'll see a picture of a cornfield. I put that in there because this is one of our students here. He graduated from the Bible school and is a church planter. He has planted three churches. But he's come back to the Bible school because we introduced a couple years ago an agricultural program to teach our students some skills that they can use to uh, earn a living for themselves and to make money for the ministry. Many of our students, are they have an opportunity to do farming, but they're not using that land to its greatest potential. And God gave us a vision of including agriculture in our educational program to send our students out with something practical that they can do to generate income for their families and for the ministry. And it's already working. This man here, the man with the biggest smile, Mark Kayimba, uh, has used these skills to turn his farm around and has moved from poverty to, you know, he's not wealthy, but he's not poor anymore either. He has an abundance. He sent me home with a car full of vegetables and one chicken, praise the Lord. 
and we had a good time together, we are seeing agriculture being used by God to bring long-term sustainability to our ministries. Our children's home there has 50 children, IPHC children's home. We bought a farm for that home, 11 acres, and now that home is 90% sustained by the farm. People to people gives the other 10%, 90% is coming off that land. The land is working for the kingdom of God. And we want to multiply that in our, our school and also our students when they go out and do ministry. If you go to the next slide, Summer's going to tell you about girls' ministry and how God has been using her these last few years to reach girls and train women in East Africa. Good morning. It's such a joy to be with you this morning and to worship with you. Um, IPHC, we believe, is a place of hope, and we are a people of promise. And girls' ministry, um, we want to send that message, proclaim that message all over the world to our girls, that the hope of the gospel can set them free and can give them hope. And there are promises made to each one of them in the Bible from their creator. And we want girls' ministry to be a place where they hear about that message. I think in every culture around the world, there are lies that our cultures tell our girls about who they are and what their future might be. It's the same here in America, and it's also happening in in Kenya. And we want to reach our girls with this message and dispel the lies that the enemy is using in their culture to try to tell them who they are, to try to tell them that what has happened to them in their past and in their present has to determine who they are in the future. And we want to tell them that because of Jesus Christ, because he came as the babe in the manger and died on the cross, we have eternal hope and healing and salvation and redemption through what he did for them. And so that's what girls ministry, that's the message that we're sending to our girls there and even to our women who want to reach them. Part of what I do is twofold. The first is I train and resource leaders. Um, This is a picture from our most recent leadership training in the country of Malawi. For the last eight years, I've been working in Kenya with our women's ministries, but our women's ministry leadership in Malawi heard about what we were doing, and they called Mrs. Irvina Parker and I to come and do the very first leaders training for our women there because they're hungry to reach their girls um, in the local churches. And so we traveled there. We were not sure how many people would turn up for that event. But as you can see, we had such a big turnout. And again, sometimes you think about leaders training as a boring thing. But the Holy Spirit is turning up into these leaders training and moving in powerful ways. Um, One of our chapters in our leaders guide tackles the subject of abuse and trauma. Because in the continent of Africa, and especially in Malawi, women and girls face unimaginable trauma and abuse by the time they reach the age of 18 years old. In Malawi, every woman has a story. And so after we finished the chapter on abuse um, in Malawi, I felt a sense in my spirit that we needed to stop and have some time for prayer. Because the women that were coming um, to receive training for their girls, you could sense a, a spirit of heaviness as we went through this topic. And the Lord said, stop and have prayer. And so I asked them, I said, ladies, I just want you to take a few minutes right where you are and talk to Jesus about what you've gone through, about the abuse that you have endured your entire life, even some abuse that you're, that's happening to you right now. And so they took a few minutes and they, they knelt on a concrete floor. If you go to the next slide, you can see 
what that building was like. Some of them didn't even have a chair to sit on for this leader's guide, but they knelt on that concrete floor. And for about 15 minutes, they cried out to Jesus. They lifted their hands, tears streaming down their face, asking Jesus to heal them and deliver them from what they're experiencing and what they're going through. And the Holy Spirit just moved in such a powerful way. And I always like to be in events like this because it's a great reminder to me that ministry is much more than just one person. And just to be a very small, small part of what God wants to do through the women to the girls of Malawi and to Kenya. And then after this prayer time, a little grandmother stood up and she said to all of us, now we need to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to refill us to overflowing so that we can go back to our villages and our communities and be agents of change in our communities because we want the cycle of abuse to end with us. We want our daughters and our granddaughters to have a different story to tell than what we're, we're um, experiencing in our own lives. So thank you for supporting our ministry. Because of what you're doing, women are being transformed and empowered to go back and reach their girls with the hopeful healing message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you go to the next slide, you'll see another part of what I do and what I'm involved in is hosting girls camps, girls conferences in different regions throughout Kenya. The leadership will call me and ask me to come and we'll plan together two to three days of intensive ministry for our girls with fun activities um, and just uh, intensive ministry for them specifically. They have their youth camps with the boys, but we plan these events just for girls. We invite counselors to come. We have an all-female worship band that is all Kenyan that comes and does praise and worship. And so little girls from rural places in Kenya come and they see girls not too much older than them leading praise and worship, playing instruments, involved in ministry and it's showing them that if they can do it then I can do it through the help of Jesus Christ this is from um, a few of our events that we've had the first picture you see was from our daughters of the king conference that we had this past April we had about 120 girls come and through those three days we saw nearly a hundred girls make decisions for Jesus Christ uh, accepting him as their savior and through the altar ministry time we saw the Holy Spirit break the chains of um, just trauma and bondage. And we know that God is using these conferences to set the captives free, to empower them, to know who they really are through Jesus Christ. So thank you for supporting us again. When you do that, you don't just support a Bible school and students. You're also reaching girls and women all over East Africa. So thank you so much. Um, when I'm not involved in this ministry, I'm a mother of those two sweet kids that you saw. Um, so I'm just a normal mom like, like any other woman. And so um, just pray for me that I can continue to balance ministry and home life, um, especially potty training a three-year-old boy who seems not to have any interest in it, <laughs> that I can have the patience of the Holy Spirit. Um, but to be serious, I, I know that being a mother is also a ministry, and I would never want my children to think um, outside ministry is more important than them. So if you pray for, as you pray for us, please pray for me specifically in that area as I continue to balance being a mom and also doing girls ministry. Thanks again for having us. It's just a joy to be with you and to worship with you. And as we were worshiping today, one of my favorite worship songs is It Is Well. And sometimes when we look around our life, it doesn't feel 
well in our bodies or feel or seem well in our minds and the situations in our families and our home life. But because of Jesus, we can say it is well with my soul. And that is reason enough to worship. Amen. So thank you and God bless you. We have a display in the back on your way out. And back there you can find two magnets with our picture on it. And we just give these out to anybody who would commit to pray for us. When you see the magnets on your refrigerator or filing cabinet, just let that be a reminder to say a word of prayer for us. We want to give you these today as you leave. And we also have two cards, our personal information card and a card for the Bible school. If you would like to sign up for our email newsletter, you can do so on the card. And if God is calling you to support our ministry uh, more financially each month, you can give that right here through your local church. We have our account numbers on the card that you can use to designate that gift. We say thank you for all that you're doing to support our ministry. And we want to just say God bless you for that. I also want to say thank you to my sister in the back for doing the PowerPoint. You made me look good today. I appreciate that. And if you have any questions or if I didn't uh, make something clear and you'd like to ask a question, please see me in the back. I'll be happy to talk with you after the service and to give you some more information or answer a question, whatever that might be. I want to share with you this morning from the Word of God in Matthew chapter 1. I'm not going to preach a, a missions message today, although most messages are missions messages. I want to give you a message about Christmas. And I want to look at Matthew chapter 1 and talk about the family of Jesus, uh, beginning uh, with his genealogy. I'm not going to read all this genealogy, but I want to point out a few things. And as you're turning there... Uh, speaking about family, I've been very grateful since I've been home these last few months to be able to attend many family get-togethers. This is something we don't get to do. We don't really miss a lot of things from America, but we miss our families. And we miss the food that we get at family get-togethers. It's good to be back with family. And I've been already to family cookouts, uh, Christmas parties, Thanksgiving dinners. I've enjoyed being with my family. Every family has some characters in it, right? Maybe you're the one in your family, I don't know. And every family has some stories that they tell and also some stories that they do not tell. We all have some of those people that we don't talk about or we don't discuss. Maybe we wish they would be forgotten. Well, Jesus had a family history and a family story. Matthew communicates that in Matthew chapter 1. I think it's very interesting to look at who Matthew chooses to point out in the family history of Jesus. Now, when you begin reading, it starts off very normally. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Great men. You know, if they were in your family, you would have their portrait above your fireplace in the living room. That's who you want to talk about. So he continues, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah whose mother was Tamar. Now right there I want to pause and just talk a minute about this. If we were telling our family story and giving our family history and writing it down for the record, we might not include Tamar. Tamar and that whole story might be something that we would uh, put away and not talk about. It's a difficult story. It's one of those stories in the Bible that you really can't read the whole chapter in, ch in church on Sunday morning. 
It's Genesis chapter 38, if you want to go home and read that later today. But in, I'll just summarize it for you. Judah had three sons, and he went to find a wife for his firstborn son. And he found a wife for her named Tamar. The problem is that his firstborn son died before he and Tamar had any children. So Judah sent his secondborn son to be her husband, and he mistreated her. And the Bible actually says that God killed him for what he did to Tamar. Well, Tamar is now widow, a widow again, and, and Judah says, I've got a third son that I'll send you, but he's not old enough yet. When he gets old enough, I'll send him to you, but until then, you remain in your father's house as a widow, and I'll let you know when the time is ready. Well, the years went by, and Judah said, you know, if two of my sons have been with this woman and they've both died, I better not risk sending her my third son. And he forgot about her. He neglected her. He left her there as a destitute widow in her father's house. And Tamar realized that if she didn't do something, she was going to be forgotten forever. And she did something that I would not recommend that you do. She went out and disguised herself as a prostitute and seduced her father-in-law. And these two children that are mentioned here, Perez and Zerah, they are the children that were produced from that deception. Now, that's a family story that I don't want people to know if it happened in my family. I would not talk about that. I would not include that in my autobiography if I was writing that today. But Matthew points that out, and he didn't have to. He didn't have to point that out. In fact, he didn't talk about Sarah, who was the matriarch of all the Jewish people. He didn't talk about Rebecca. He didn't talk about Rachel or Leah, the first woman that he points out in the family history of Jesus is this woman named Tamar, and it wasn't even necessary. If he had just said Judah, the father of Perez, most of us would probably not even have thought a second, uh, for a second that Tamar was involved in this. But this uh, inclusion by Matthew, I think, is designed to make us remember that this woman was in the family history of Jesus. This woman who was abused, who was neglected, who had been sinned against and was also a sinner, who had disguised herself as a prostitute in order to seduce her father-in-law so that they might have children together. That's a story in the family history of Jesus. Yes, Jesus was 100% God, but he was also 100% human. And being 100% human means there's some stories in the past that we don't always want to talk about. And Matthew points that out intentionally, I believe, to describe to us the real-life situation that Jesus had in his family. You know, many years later, Jesus would go to a town called Samaria. And he would sit by a well there. And on that, uh, at that well, another woman came whose story was maybe similar to Tamar. She, this is in John chapter 4. She had been passed from husband to husband, neglected, abused, sinned against, and also sinned herself. But when Jesus met her by the well, he extended to her grace and mercy and, and encouraged her to come into right relationship with God. The disciples showed up in the middle of this conversation 
And they were really surprised to see Jesus talking to this woman. Why would Jesus talk to that Samaritan sinner? She looks like a sinner. And Jesus said, no, she looks like a member of my family. She looks like my great-great-great-grandma, Tamar. And if Tamar is in my past, why can't this woman be in my future? You continue to read the story, and you get down to verse number 5. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Now, here's another one that you might not talk about in your family tree, in your family history. Tamar impersonated a prostitute. Rahab was a professional. She had a house on the border wall of Jericho where she ran a business And when the spies sent by Joshua came into that city looking how they might be able to take that city, they went into her house, maybe looking to avoid suspicion. I hope that's all it was. But when they they got there, she realized that God was on the move in Jericho. And she was able to perceive that this was her chance to be saved. And she asked those men if she helped them do the work of God Would they spare her family? They made an agreement. And then that's the end of the story in the Old Testament. After that story, we never again hear about Rahab. She survived the conquest of Jericho, but we don't read about her ever again in the the Old Testament. It's not until you come to Matthew that the reader is ever told that she went on to marry a man named Salmon. Salmon's father had worked with Moses, and Salmon himself had been uh, uh, someone who maybe had had come out of Egypt from the uh, uh, slavery of Israel, or maybe was born out there in the wilderness. But Salmon married this woman, Rahab, and they went on to have a son named Boaz. And we know the story of Boaz very well. And Boaz went on to have a son named Obed, and Obed went on to have a son named Jesse, and Jesse went on to have a son named David. But you know, the Old Testament never tells us that Rahab was in the mix. They probably knew it, but they didn't write it down. And it's not until Matthew decides to share the gospel that he reveals that Rahab was there in the story all along. Rahab was part of the story of God's king, of the monarchy of Israel. And Matthew points it out. She's there in the family history of Jesus. Another time in Jesus' ministry, he was in the home of a Pharisee named Simon. And a very sinful woman came in to the, to the house. And maybe she was also a prostitute. She saw that Jesus' feet had not been washed. And she knelt down and Without having any water, she washed his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. When Simon the Pharisee saw this, he made a, a, a side remark and said, if Jesus was really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman she was and he wouldn't let her do that to him. Simon said, I want that woman out of my house. Jesus said, I'm going to invite that woman into my family. She doesn't... Looked like a sinner to me. She looks like my great-great-grandma, Rahab. And if Rahab was in my story, why can't this woman be in my future? Then you come to Ruth. 
Ruth was also in this story. And Ruth, we have a whole book about her. But what's interesting about Ruth is that Ruth was a Moabite. And in Deuteronomy chapter 23, we have a very interesting uh, prohibition that God gives. Deuteronomy 23 verse 3, no Ammonite or Moabite or any of his descendants, that's Ruth, may enter the assembly of the Lord even down to the tenth generation. Then down at verse 6, do not seek a treaty of friendship with them as long as you live. Ruth was part of a community that was excluded from the community of God by law, but then was brought in by grace. Brought in by grace and not just left over there on the fringes somewhere, but brought into the center of what God was doing in Israel and became herself an ancestor of David and Jesus. And when Matthew gives the gospel, when Matthew declares the gospel, he talks about a woman named Ruth who was excluded by law but included by grace because he was foreshadowing the message of Jesus to the world that until this point you've been excluded by the law, you've been left out by the law, but my grace is going to bring you in. And then the last woman that Matthew mentions, and he mentions her in a way that is designed to make us remember what happened in that story. Go down to verse number 6. And Jesse, the father of King David, David, the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Now, he didn't have to say that. He could have just said Solomon, the son of David, blah, blah, blah. And he could have said Solomon, who was born of Bathsheba and maybe people would forget but he said no this king of Israel this ancestor of Jesus was born out of a a a relationship between David and another man's wife that's part of the family history of Jesus you know that story very well David had already had several wives by this point I think six but he saw this woman bathing on the roof And their first child from their adulterous relationship died. But David married her after killing her husband or having him killed. And they had another son named Solomon. And it was that child that God used to continue the monarchy of Israel. Now what's very interesting is that the story of this, of of David, is told in 2 Samuel and in 1 Chronicles. Now in 2 Samuel... The writer gives all the details of what happened. But when you read the second telling of it in 1 Chronicles, all of that stuff about Bathsheba has been cut out. It's not there. The writer cleaned it up a little bit. But when you get to Matthew, Matthew brings it all back out again. And he does it not to talk about the condemnation of David, but to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That even Bathsheba's have a part in the kingdom of God. That God can take a terrible situation, a situation that was born out of sin and redeem it and use it to even advance his kingdom on this earth.
There was a time in Jesus' ministry when he was out teaching and they brought a woman to him who had been caught in the very act of adultery. They threw her down at his feet and with rocks in their hands, they said, tell us what we should do. And Jesus just wrote something in the dirt. We don't know what he wrote. But one by one, those men walked away because Jesus said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And then he dealt with that woman privately. You know, he didn't, he didn't overlook her sin. But he did look at her with grace and mercy. Because he said, you remind me of somebody in my family. You remind me of my great-great-grandma. She did wrong, but God used her. God used her. Christmas is not just a season for the saints. It's a time for all the messed up people in the world to have a message of hope that God has come into the world to bring redemption and grace and mercy into whatever story you have come out of. It doesn't matter what your story is. It doesn't matter what someone has written about you or what has happened to you, who has sinned against you or who you've sinned against. If Jesus has come into your world, there is grace today. There is mercy today. There is hope today in him. That's the first challenge here. I think that's why Matthew put these people in the story. He reminded us that they were part of Jesus' past so that we could understand that they'll also be part of his future. If they're in his story, they'll be in his eternity. That's right. this, is not, this is not approving of their sin, but this is declaring that Jesus desires the sinner right. to come into the kingdom of God. Right. We should count no one out. That's and that's the second challenge today. To view the world through the lens of Matthew chapter 1. Amen. To view that sinner as a member of the family of God. As a potential person in God's kingdom that he wants to bring into his story. To bring into his eternity. And we can be the one to help bring them in. We can shut the door or we can invite them in. You see, we have here in this story many women in Jesus' ministry that reminded him of his family. We saw the, the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Those men with the stones were ready to put her to death. Jesus was ready to give her a new life. Simon, in in Luke chapter 7, was ready to invite Jesus in, but he didn't want to invite anybody else in, those other people who might follow after him. But Jesus said, this woman's story will be told wherever the gospel is preached. And then you had that story of the woman at the well. The disciples were shocked that Jesus would talk to her. But she's the one who brought that city salvation we've got to change the way we view people change the way we see the world because when Jesus sees those people they remind him of somebody in his family and they're our family too our brothers and sisters who will live with us for eternity so I say thank you Matthew Thank you for including these people in the gospel, for reminding us that these people were involved in the history of Jesus so that we might look for them in his future, in our present. They are there today, and they need to be told the gospel is for them. We should count no one out. We should exclude no one from the family, but be willing to help bring in all that God has called us to reach. Anyone our path crosses that 
we are given the opportunity to speak to need to be told the story. And there are some people out there who have heard it. They've heard the gospel. They've read the gospel. They've seen the gospel. They know the gospel. But they won't respond until they hear it told in your voice. Your voice is the voice that they need to hear it spoken in. And you might say, I don't have much of a voice. If you've got enough of a mustard seed to talk about, that is something great in the kingdom of God. Because God can take a mustard seed of faith, a mustard seed of gospel, a mustard seed of obedience, and use it greatly in his kingdom. If he can use Bathsheba and Tamar and Ruth and these other women to bring about the monarchy of Israel and the Savior of the world, there's no knowing what he can do with us when we go out of this place in obedience and do what God has called us to do. Maybe today you can identify with one of these ladies. You're living that story right now. You're in that situation. I want you to know that there is grace for you today. In the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a place for you in this family. Maybe you're the one in the family they don't talk about. Jesus wants you in his story. Maybe today you have come out of that. You're on the other side of that now. But we need to make sure that our eyes don't get calloused to the people out there who are in that situation. And who need us to respond to them with mercy and grace. And to say, you know what? You look like somebody in my family. You remind me, you resemble someone that I'm related to. Let me tell you about Jesus. And I I believe if we can do that this Christmas, we'll have many more people celebrating the birth of Christ this year right here in Tallahassee. Can I pray for you? Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the opportunity that we've had to share here today. I thank you for the church that you planted here, Christian Heritage Church. And I thank you for the ministry that you have done through this church, the outreach that you have done, all that you have done here, Father. I thank you for that. You planted this church here to grow and thrive and prosper. And we see that happening here and all over the world. But, Lord, we also know that there are people out there who still need to hear and who still need to respond. They don't know that they're part of the story. They don't know. That Jesus is looking at them for mercy and grace today. But we want them to know. So, Father, give us opportunities to share this good news. Put people in our path. Put people in our minds that we can call and communicate with. And find out on, even in, in the street somewhere today who, can, uh, who we can share the good news with. Change our eyes to see people not as sinners but as family members, potential family members in the kingdom of God. Lord, we pray that you would help us do that. And I thank you, Lord, that that is going on here. I know this church is sending out people to reach this community. It's pouring out blessings all over the place. And as this church is pouring out, Father, I pray that you would pour back into it. Pour back into this church your blessings, your resources, your power. To do what we need to do. Lord, I pray for Pastor Steve today. I pray that you would just raise him back up to to health better than what he had before. And I pray that you will use him mightily for your glory. And use this sickness as a testimony 
of how he has overcome the attack of the enemy. I pray, Lord, also, as we go into the Christmas season, that you would remind us of your story once again, that we would be not just hearers, but participants in the story of the coming of Christ and bring into this church, into our family, many people who need to hear this story, who need to be part of the story. And we ask you to help us do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Thank you. God bless you, brother. Thank you so much. Ushers, would you come this morning, please? We're going to receive a special offering for the Sneeds and the work in East Africa, Kenya. I'm going to borrow one of your phrases that you mentioned several times when you were showing the slides and talking about the work there. If you were listening, you said several times, that's not something I could do, but I could help them. So too many times when we talk about missions in America, we say, well, that's not something I can do, and we leave it right there. But we need to understand God has called some to praise, called some to give, and he's called some to go. Every one of us have a role and a part to play in taking the gospel around the world. So this morning, I'm going to ask you to give sacrificially. Give something that will cause you to invest in a ministry that will cause you to pray for them, to remember them, to support them, to be involved in what God is doing in Kenya and through the ministry of East Africa Bible School and the women's and girls ministry there. God's on the move. We want to be moving with him. Amen. You don't want to wake up one day and say, oh, I remember in 1987 when the Holy Ghost showed up and what a wonderful time it was. You want to say, today the Holy Ghost showed up and what a wonderful time it was. So make your checks to CHC, this offering in its entirety. We'll go to the Sneeds and help them with their ministry in East Africa. Make your checks to CHC if you need to use a credit or a debit card. Uh, the offering envelope in the seat back in front of you functions for that purpose. If you're giving cash and want giving credit, also use that offering envelope in the seat back in front of you. Those of you watching online, if you want to participate in this offering, and we would encourage you to do so, use that Give Now button at the top of your screen and simply use the Missions drop-down, and we will know that this offering that you're giving online is going to the Sneeds as well. Father, we thank you today for the opportunity to partner with this couple. We ask that you bless their lives, bless their family, expand their ministry. We pray the prayer of Jabez over them this morning, Father. Expand their territory. Give them greater, greater influence in expanding and building the kingdom of God across East Africa. Not only in Kenya, but Malawi and the countries that surround through Ethiopia and Eritrea, where there is no gospel message at this point. Touch them and move them and enable them to do great things through Sudan and South Sudan. God, just do your work in that portion of Africa. We'll give you praise and honor and glory for it in Jesus' name. God bless you as you give this morning. Amen. Our prayer is that God will take this word and plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. Father, we pray for your great wisdom to infiltrate this listener, draw them to you, and take them gently down the road to their next destination in life. And if you're in need of a home church, we invite you to join us at Christian Heritage Church on Shera Road in Tallahassee, Florida, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. 
For a worship service where the presence of God has first place, you're invited to Christian Heritage Church. Sunday morning service is at 10.30, Wednesday evening at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For all the latest information, visit our website, chctoday.com. 